by the dean of the School of Music. Yes, this is good. Yes, we need this. This is good. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. I didn't know that. That was fascinating. Fascinating. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd invite you to turn back to the book we've been studying for five weeks, and that book is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. If you're still like me, and it's not the easiest book in the Bible to find, you can find the Psalms right in the middle of the Bible and turn back just a few books, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Esther, Psalms, Proverbs is the, the line up there. Nehemiah chapter 4 will be our text for this morning. There's a couple names, two names actually, that in my opinion are the, the names of the evilest, meanest, cruelest, mischievous bullies of all time. Those two names are Scut Farkas and Grover Gill. You may say, well, who is Scut Farkas and who is Grover Gill? Well, I have a picture here that might jog your memory. It's also in your sermon notes. Do you know these guys? Scut Farkas there with the orange raccoon hat on and Grover Gill there with the leather jacket and little hat. These are the bullies from the movie The Christmas Story. Uh, if you haven't watched The Christmas Story, I have to ask you, what planet are you from? It comes on for 72 straight hours over Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and the day after Christmas. We, our family, have, we watch it a couple times, you know, it's kind of a family tradition. But Scott Farkas and Grover Gill are the bullies that mistreat Ralphie and Randy and Flick and all the neighborhood children. Maybe a little piece from that movie will jog your memory about Scott and Grover. I think the audio is scary enough. <laughs> the 
these children are terrified by these bullies. Uh, there's the little baby brother, Randy, in his indomitable snowman outfit. The best part is they say his best defense was to lay there like a dead man, you know. He would call them over one at a time, make them play uncle. Do any of you ever have to play uncle with a mean bully, you know? They bend your arm back so that it hurts. Scott Farkas Grover Gill. Two bullies that made the lives of Ralphie, Randy, and all the kids, made him miserable. They were intimidated by these bullies. They were scared of these bullies. The bullies did anything they could to strike fear in their hearts. Well, a couple weeks ago, I introduced you to Nehemiah's bullies. The two guys that were always in his mind. They scared him or tried to scare him. They tried to intimidate him, tried to bring people against Nehemiah. Those guys were named Sambalot and Tobiah. In Nehemiah, we know that he has some bullies. There are these people that seem to do anything they can to oppose him, to turn people against him. And this morning, we're going to look at what Nehemiah does. He's not going to be like Randy, who lays there dead. <laughs> or he's not going to scream uncle until they let go. He's going to use some tools, some weapons, spiritual weapons, to stand up against those bullies. And what I think it provides for us, what it provides for us today, are some tools that we can use when people stand in opposition to us. If you've lived a few years of life, whether in a business, whether with friends, maybe even with family, you've had folks who stood against you from time to time. We've had folks who intimidate us, try to do us ill will, maybe even put a little pain and harm in our life. Well, what can we use? What did Nehemiah use? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. Just to give the context so that everyone's on the same page. Chapter 3, the wall was being built. The wall was going up. The people were gathering and moving and making these preparations to rebuild the wall. All except one group. Do you remember the one group? Uh, the Tekoite nobles that we learned about last week were the only people too good to work. But Nehemiah's vision to rebuild Jerusalem's walls is becoming a reality. It's happening. It's, it's, it's coming back to life. The fortifications are taking shape. And Sambalot and Tobiah, who were the leaders of this region before Nehemiah arrived, they tried to deter him when he originally entered into the city. We read about that in chapter 2. But now the wall is actually coming together. If they're going to put any opposition, if they're going to put anything together, now's the time. And they take it up a notch. They start gathering support. Let's read together from Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. Now when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? 
Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yeah, what are they building? If a fox goes up to it, he will break down their stone wall. And then verse 4, Nehemiah breaks into a prayer. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6, So we built the wall. And all the wall was joining together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the replacing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. You got two bullies here, just like Scut Farkas and Grover Gill. They kind of remind me of those two. You had Sambalot, who I called the spokesman. He's the one that talks. He's the one that would be the cruel laugh of Scut Farkas. He'd be the one asking for people to get over here and harming their arms. He is in verse 1, and he's the one speaking about what's happening. It says in verse 1 that he sees what's happening, and he's angry, and he's enraged. Verse 2, he gathers together people, the brothers that he has, and an army of Samaria. Now, if you know any history of the Old Testament, you know the Jewish people and the Samaritans, they never really get along. So he's gathering an army and he's asking the question about what are these feeble Jews? What are these weak Jews doing? He's throwing insults at the Jews. He's asking, will they ever be able to restore this for themselves? Will they ever get back to their place of sacrifice? He's just the spokesman. But then you got the Grover Gill, the little toady, the video calls him, the little henchman, the little sidekick, Tobiah, the Ammonite. Ammon is on the other side of the river. This would be the opposite. So Jerusalem in the middle, Samaria up here, Ammon down here. So you've got peoples and leaders from both sides. And little Tobiah, I don't know if he was tall or short. He just looks like a little sidekick to me. He's the sarcastic one. And he says, look at that wall. If a fox comes up, it's going to knock it over. It's like a little kitten cat, a little kitty cat. It's going to knock over your wall. You got the sarcastic one and you got the spokesman. And then you got Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is in a real, real pickle. He's got people against him. They're gathering, verse 7, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. Now the Ashdodites, that would be the Philistines. 
You know about David and Goliath and the Philistines, Ashdod's there in what we call today the Gaza Strip. He's pulling people from all corners, north, east, west, south, and they're all coming together. Nehemiah's in a pickle. And they're all plotting together, verse 8 says, to come and to fight Jerusalem and to cause confusion. Now, brothers and sisters, just getting this building project up and off the ground from within the Jews was a big job. Calling them to this this challenge, calling them to this vision, there was already conflict internally, but now they have an enormous amount of conflict and opposition externally. They're coming in, and we wonder what on earth Nehemiah is going to do. Well, let me make a point here first and foremost. If any of us ever find ourselves in leadership of any sort, whether in a business or in a company or in a school or in a volunteer group or in our community or in our family or even among our friends, and you're moving people forward, you're challenging them to step up, you're challenging them to do more than they thought they would normally do, you most certainly know anytime you move anything forward, opposition is coming. Opposition should be anticipated and expected. Anytime we take a step of faith, we can normally be assured that someone, something, some group is going to try to hold us back. I know that many of you have different kinds of responsibilities and things that you oversee. Have you ever had a good idea? Ever felt like you needed to do something a little bit more? And you brought that idea to the group, you brought that idea to the, to the body that that represented, and before you even got the good idea out, you had some naysaying opposition. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, we've not done it like that before. Wait a minute, wait a minute, that's going to cost too much money. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's going to cause us to make some changes. You ever had that happen? The, the, the awkward giggle means that probably is true. It's immediate opposition. Now, some of that opposition is internal, but what if it's external? Friends, do, do the people of faith, the Christians in America, do we have some opposition today? What if it's external? Sometimes we have opposition internally. We kind of have some ideas here inside the household of faith. But what if it's external? Uh, Any of you who serve in the local school districts, who serve in the role of volunteer or uh, maybe a teacher or an educator or or serve in the work of other with kids, you ever had any opposition to your faith? For those of us in business... There's places and things that we can't say or that we can't do, that we can't necessarily make public because of our company's policies. Ever felt any opposition? Maybe opposition to certain rules, certain laws, certain commands. Well, opposition should be expected. Opposition should be something that you actually anticipate. 
Nehemiah probably knew this was coming. He's a leader. He was a leader in Persia, where he came from, in the court of the king. And he was a leader as he made this journey to Jerusalem to build the wall. I think he understood that there would be some opposition. I think it's something that we should anticipate. But we're not left without something to respond with. That's what I'd like to share quickly. Some tools, some weapons. And I hesitated to even use the word weapon. Because weapon sounds like a thing of harm. A knife, some gun, something of that sort. And that's not what I mean. I simply mean is that we have some spiritual tools to stand up against opposition. Let me give you the first one. The first one is that of prayer. Is that of prayer. Did you notice in verse 4, almost out of nowhere, we get the introduction to Sambalot, we get the introduction to Tobiah, verse 1 through 3 is just their words against the Jews, and then out of nowhere, verse 4 is a prayer. Now, the biblical scholars tell us that most likely Ezra the prophet is the author of Nehemiah, even though it refers to things in the first person. We, I, we did this, I did this. But this is very much likely Ezra taking an account of Nehemiah's prayer. Just look at that prayer in verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. And Nehemiah doesn't even, it just interrupts almost the conversation of what's happening. It interrupts with with the need for prayer. Sometimes in the middle of our opposition, in the middle of times when people are coming against us, we just need to stop right in the middle and begin calling upon the name of the Lord in prayer. Hear us, O God, we are despised. Verse 9, it says the same thing. In the midst of the end, there's just a desire to pray. When you get involved in certain things and you have opposition, you should know you have an ally. And that is God Almighty. And we can call upon His name. Now, Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah. His prayer is not real sanitized. It's not real politically correct. It's just his heart beating out before the Lord. He's asking for protection. He's asking for help. To be fair, if you read the prayer in its, in its entirety, he's asking God to hold them back and possibly bring them down. Now, we don't think we should pray that other people be brought down. We think about Jesus' words and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, where Jesus encourages us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But part of that prayer could be God, hold back their persecution. Hold back their opposition. Uh, David in the Psalms, he is constantly under opposition and he has people who are constantly coming against him. And several Psalms stand out as how he begins to pray in the midst of opposition. One of those is Psalm 59. Psalm 59. If you want to turn there, it's very close to the book of Nehemiah. Psalm 59 sounds a little strange to our modern ears. Verse 1 and 2. 
Psalm 59, 1 and 2, Deliver me from my enemies. O my God, protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. Look down in verse 11, same chapter. Psalm 59, 11, Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. It sounds odd to our ears to ask God to bring somebody else down. But if you're a person of faith and you're a child of the King, you can go to your Father in heaven and say, Lord, give me strength to stand up against opposition. And for those that are opposing me, be my shield and be my support. Psalm 121 This is a psalm you should underline and highlight, a psalm that you should memorize and hold in your heart. Psalm 121, verse 1 through 3. Another of David. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Where did your help come from? The Lord who made heaven and earth. He will let not your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Where does our help truly come from? It comes from the Lord. And we can call upon Him in the times of opposition. Let me give you a second tool. One maybe not as obvious in this passage, but one that I see clearly. Not only can we pray, but we need to protect each other. We need to protect each other. Verse 9 is a prayer, and we prayed to our God. Verse 9. But what's the second half of verse 9? And we set a guard, a protection around us day and night. Friends, when we're under opposition, one of the things that we need to do is to protect one another. Amen? Stand up for one another. Lock arms and guard one another. There's, there's an important principle here, men and women. Sometimes when we have internal opposition, the thing that we actually do is that we don't protect one another. It's that we attack one another. We cut each other down. We gossip about one another. We backstab one another. We maneuver behind each other. When we have internal conflict, the Solution that the Scripture says, we need to follow a Matthew 18 pattern. We need to go to one another and talk to one another privately. And then if that doesn't work, we may need to take some mature, more wise believer with us and two, go to the one and try to solve it privately. It's not even then that we need to If we can't solve it, do we bring it up before the church? But what I find, what I find is that when we have internal opposition, do you know what stops first? Conversation with one another. We draw up sides. We draw up, I'm for it or I'm against it. And who else is with me and who else is against me? We actually become warring parties when we're supposed to be a household of faith. We've got to protect one another. We've got to protect one another by 
following the biblical mandates for how we solve conflict with one another. But when the opposition is external, all the more so, we need to stand together. This week, Jennifer, Tony, and I, we had a training, actually Friday, on our campus. It was faculty workshop. We're all three members of the faculty at Campbellsville University. And because of some very tragic events that happened at Transylvania University or Virginia Tech, uh, even other schools in and around, they've had incidents of active shooters coming on campus to do harm. In really all public schools and a private school like us, we're going through training with the faculty and staff on how to respond in a terrible catastrophe like an active shooting. I mean, you can only remember the horrific Sandy Hook incident and beyond that, Columbine. But there are others that are just as terrible. And so we were learning some techniques and there was a little video and, and sometimes when you have to watch a training video, it's a little silly. Uh, some of you in your workplace have had to show safety videos or uh, protection videos and, and they're a little bit silly, a little bit hokey, a little bit cheesy. Well, the big theme for this video was run, hide, fight. How to respond in a situation like this. Run, hide, fight. And there were breakdowns of how do you run out of the building or the classroom or how do you hide, turning off the lights, barricading the doors, gathering everybody together, keeping everyone quiet, turning off cell phone vibration so there's no sound coming out, making sure that the shooter has no clue you're there. Then there was the fight which I thought was an interesting suggestion. Grab a fire extinguisher, grab a desk, uh, grab anything you can to possibly bring that person down. But in the run situation training, the, the instruction was as you're running out, don't just think about yourself. Bring people with you. If you see someone that's so scared they're under a desk or they're paralyzed with fear, no, get them to come with you. Draw them out. Your job is to run and grab as many people as you can and get them all to safety. Because something terrible was happening in these scenarios. And I just kept thinking, when we face con conflict and opposition, we need to remember to draw people in. Protect one another. Get people out of harm's way. Stand up and protect those that possibly can't protect themselves. Is that not the understanding that all of us have that we are our brother and sister's keeper? Do you believe that? You know that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're supposed to take care of one another, protect one another, help one another? Well, we can pray. We can protect. Lastly, I want to say to you that we can preserve and persevere. I, there's just something that I kept coming back to in verse 6. Can you go to verse 6 of Nehemiah chapter 4? 1 through 3, Nehemiah is hearing the words of Sambalot and Tobiah, his bullies. Verse 4 and 5, he's praying to the Lord. Verse 6, if you just read it quickly, you'll miss it. But in the 
in the world of his opposition, what did they keep doing? They kept building the wall. Verse 6, so we built the wall. The opposition didn't stop. The threats from the outside armies didn't end. The insults of Sambalot the spokesman or the sarcastic remarks from Tobiah the Ammonite, they didn't stop. They're praying, but they're still building the wall. They're still putting the wall together. I love what the end of verse 6 says, and all the wall was joined together to its half height. They're at the midway point now. They haven't stopped a second. And it says, for the people had a mind to work. There was a momentum. There was a movement. He's not going to let anybody stand against him. Friends, let me tell you, bullies eventually get tired if you persevere, if you don't give up. Eventually, they'll find someone else to bully if you keep building the wall if you keep adding to what you're doing. The perseverance that we have is one of the greatest weapons of, against any opposition. We just keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't get tired. Don't get weary. Don't get faint. Don't quit too early. You just keep going, keep going, keep going, and eventually your, your opposition will go on about something else. You persevere. I think about Jesus and His perseverance. You know, the Scripture teaches us that Jesus had opposition His entire earthly ministry. From His announcement that He has come to bring sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and to raise the dead to life again and to ultimately go to the cross for the sin of all people who would believe. Did Jesus ever give up? Did he have opposition? Yeah, you better believe it. He had opposition from the Pharisees and from the Romans. He had opposition from the crowds. He had opposition from his own disciples. But did he ever give up? He persevered till the end. And there's something that we can take courage about, that Christ our Savior dwells also in us, we can persevere until the end. Whatever happened to old Scut Farkas and Grover Gill? Did you see the end of the Christmas story? Eventually, Ralphie has what we call, he snapped. He went crazy on Scut Farkas and bloodied his nose and said a bunch of dirty words. And his mother overheard. Do you remember that scene? And Scut's laying there in the snow, and he's got blood here on his face, and he's crying. And all the neighborhood kids start laughing at Scut. The bully has been defeated by a little kid who snapped. Sometimes we have to be so persevering. Not that we beat somebody up, but we don't let the bully win out. We persevere until the very end. Let's pray together. Lord, maybe today there's someone in this body who is going through some opposition. It can be internal. It can be external. 
It can be from a friend. It can be from a family member. It can be from a coworker. It could be from an enemy. It could be from a bully. And God, I pray right now, if they're undergoing that kind of opposition, I just invite them to pray to the God of heaven, their shield, where their help comes from. Maybe, God, they've felt a little bit weakened by the opposition. I pray that they would persevere. God, most of all, I ask that you would help us protect one another. Set a guard around one another. Strengthen one another. Hold each other up as a family of faith. We might have conflict from, right, from time to time, but I pray that you would help us link arms to build the wall of what you want us to do. Give us that strength. And God, if there be anyone here today that hasn't trusted Jesus the one who persevered until the very end, who went to the cross on our behalf, I pray today would be a day of faith and of hope and of new life. We ask that you would guide us now in this time of invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.